I, I have two announcements to tell you about, too, as well as everything Sarah said. CTV, woo, because science. Okay. Uh, baptisms are on September 30th. They're usually on Labor Day weekend. We have so much stuff going on with the parenting conference and all this in the beginning of September. We move them to September 30th. If you would like to be baptized, uh, sign up at the Welcome Center. We'll let you know when the baptism classes are and all that stuff. So sign up back there if you're interested. And the second thing is, don't forget if you own a motorcycle and you want to go on a ride with the motorcycle people, see, not gender specific, motorcycle people, uh, next Sunday after third service, 1245, meet here in the parking lot and you guys will head off and go do something. I sold my motorcycle last year, so my wife told me not to, too, so I just want you to know that's a good woman, right? But it's a whole story behind it. One day I will get another one. Is she still in the room? <laughs> All right, hey, welcome to Element. If you're new, uh, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. On the inside, you get some notes to go a little bit deeper into what we're talking about and some questions to go deeper into what we're talking about today. And you might really feel like you need that because today is going to be very practical, uh, very mundane and kind of the things that I say, so that might be good to go through. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. Click on More and then Events and Uversion will come up by GPS in your smartphone. You will get sermon, uh, sermon notes, questions, verses, announcements, everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Uh, this is Proverbs 17, verse 16, and it says, Why should a fool have money in his hand to buy wisdom when he has no sense? Uh, let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who have sense. And that sense would be that we would understand the great rescue that has been given to us by you. And that we would then see everything in our lives as grateful gifts from your hand. And we would live out and steward the things in our lives in a way that would honor and glorify who you are. Amen. And then have a seat. Uh, so we're in this series uh, going through the book of Proverbs about how to bring about and live in a culture that's many times drastically different than the culture that we live in today. I think originally when God made man, he said, create, produce, make a family, uh, make this culture that honors who God is and how we were made. It reflects the goodness of God. And so when we call this series counterculture, it's not that we want to be against and riot the things, uh, a lot of things in our culture, but we want to refocus it. We want to reset people back to what God originally called us to. So we spent the last couple months dealing with a lot of wisdom out of the book of Proverbs and how it encourages us to live out a life that is true life. Now, last week we dealt with money, and we dealt with it in the sense of righteousness versus unrighteousness. Uh, it's not doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, wealthy or, or not. It's how do we live in holiness? Is it, do we use our money righteous or unrighteously? And so today, originally I was going to do one week, and then I thought, no, I'm going to do a second week. But I'm going to tell you, uh, this is going to be so practical today, you're not even going to feel like you've been to a church service. I mean, other than the songs and we talk about Jesus... So you'll know you've been to a church service because you're at a church service. But but it's just going to be so practical in what I say. I actually almost scrapped this message like four or five times this week and just made it into a blog for our website. But then I kept coming back to the idea that these are not a lot of things people hear today. So I'm going to ask for a lot of grace today as I'm not going to... You're, it's not going to be very spiritual, but I think it is spiritual. Just You'll know what I mean as, as I start going into this today. So just... Go with me. Um, as I go through Proverbs, sometimes I will also flick back between the 
NIV and the ESV. NIV is New International Version. The ESV is called the English Standard Version. If you take an element Bible at one of the seat backs in front of you, that's an ESV, English Standard Version. And what an English Standard Version is, it's a word-for-word translation. So if we take something from the original text that we have and we translate that into English, we take the best word and put it there. But sometimes when you do that and you hit a book like Proverbs, which is all poetry and song. You, you don't really get some of the feelings of what's taking place there. Uh, it, it's kind of like if a, if a hundred years from now, you know, someone unearthed like a, like a Marvin Gaye song and, and like this word for words, like that makes no sense at all. But then, but then you got like a thought for thought and like, oh yeah, it's like that kind of thing, right? So this is why you have a thing called the NIV, the New International Version. This is more of a thought for thought. They'll use a lot of the correct words, but they'll put it in a way that actually gives you the thought of what's taking place, especially in something like poetry. And so I'm going to quote from both of those today. And when I coded the NIV, I'll tell you it's the NIV. If I don't tell you what it is, then, then that's the ESV. And let me just show you how this kind of works. The verse we started with, Proverbs seventeen sixteen. Why should a fool have money in his hand to buy wisdom when he has no sense? That's the ESV. Okay, this is the NIV. Of what use is money in the hand of a fool since he has no desire to get wisdom? See how it kind of it flows a little bit differently, right, because it's poetry. Now, I love the ESV. I love word for word, but I'll give you both today. Uh, so as we talk about this in money and Proverbs, I, I had some little notes, and I thought it was really important to give this guys to you because Proverbs 14.22 out of the NIV says, Do not those who plot evil go astray, but those who plan what is good find love and faithfulness. And so part of today is I want to talk about saving and planning and investing and what that's supposed to look like in regard to money because God has placed a lot of things in our our hands. And I think when we understand the good news of the gospel, we realize it's for every part of our lives. It's not just this spiritual thing when you go hang out on a mountain and you get rid of all worldly wealth. It's how do we actually handle the stuff that God has placed within our hands. Uh, this year, the average person will spend over $1,000 on Christmas presents, $2,000 on travel, but most people will give less than that to their local church in a given year. The government will also tell you, you need to spend more money this year to keep the economy on track. So, yeah, that's how that works. First uh, John chapter two, 2 tells us man essentially will fall into sin in three ways. The uh, first one he says is lust of the flesh. This is certain things taste good and they feel good. You go to the ice cream shop and it's like it, love it, got to have it. Lust of the flesh, right there. And so it's not that pleasure is bad. God made pleasure. He made it for his people. But if we only focus on that, it can become sin because we're only running towards this and not towards what God calls us to. Uh, second thing he has is the lust of the eyes. Today, we are bombarded by ads all the time trying to sell us something. You, and we're like, oh, yeah, I need that. Even on Facebook and Instagram, right? You scroll down, boom, and there's like ad every like four or five things that you see on there. You get junk mail. Sometimes your neighbor's car is wrapped in an ad for tacos. And you're like, is it Tuesday already? i got to get me some tacos, right? It's, it, it's crazy. And then he talks about the boastful pride of life. Because sometimes when we do get caught up in the lust of the flesh and the lust of our eyes, we buy these things, then we want other people to see the things that we bought, and then they get jealous, and they want those things too, and it's a cycle, and it goes right on the ground. Welcome to America, right? That, that's, that's how it works. Uh, and if we don't keep our pride and our flesh and our eyes in check, we'll get into a deep hole. And so we want to be counterculture in how we handle the stuff that God has given us. Many times we think the, the answers to all of our problems is just more money. As a matter of fact, Ecclesiastes 10.19 says, bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything. Right? We're like, yeah. That's good. In context, it's really not exactly what he's saying. We're going to cover Ecclesiastes next year, so that, that's my pitch. Come back a year from now, you'll actually hear the answer to that. But 
<laughs> Just write it on your calendar. We'll be there then. Uh, everybody, on average, apparently thinks they need about 10% more than what they make now. And so, and, But the answer is not more money. It's not trying to get more stuff. Because if we could choose, you should always choose wisdom. Always choose wisdom. Because if you don't have wisdom, we're not going to steward the things God has given us correctly. And again, so you have to choose, choose wisdom. I think if you have wisdom, you can always work on ways to make more wealth. But if you have money and no wisdom, you'll eventually lose it. So we have to focus on the right thing. So this is going to be very practical. Are you ready? Don't throw stones at me. Here we go. Number one is this. Uh, stewarding God's stuff, make a budget. Number one, make a budget. Make a budget. Figure out your expenses and track them. A lot of Christians complain about the government today. Oh, our government's terrible. And yet we live just like them without a budget we'll actually live to. I've heard other people say, well, budgeting isn't in the Bible. Of course it's in the Bible. Jesus tells a parable about going to build and not having enough money to finish the project. That is a budget. Proverbs 21, verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. It's okay to plan. It's okay to budget. You leave things in the hands of God, but it's okay to plan. We are supposed to. Now, uh, anybody here ever made a budget? Ever? I don't know if you followed it or not, but anybody ever made a budget? Ever had one? Yeah, most of us. Now, don't raise your hands, but do you live on it? You're like, ha, ha. No, we don't. I get it, okay? I'm not just saying you. This guy too, okay? Proverbs 15, 22. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. And so if you are someone who's never learned to budget or don't have a budget, if you email us, I will send you, or someone on our staff will send you, I, it's like I'm so wonderful. We will send you a, a budget. We'll email you an Excel spreadsheet that you can actually make out and court, course out your budget if you've never had one. If you're in debt, we could connect you with somebody who maybe you could talk to a little bit and get some financial counsel, someone who's wider, wiser and good with money. We actually do this thing at Element from time to time called FPU, Financial Peace University, and it's all practicality and how to work out and live on a budget. We're looking for the next time that we're going to do that, but it will be coming at, at some point. You get wisdom to get out of the hole that we have many times dug ourselves into. And getting out of the hole isn't begging the government for a free house or free college. It's living with wisdom in regard to how God calls us to steward the stuff he has put into our hands. Proverbs 16, verse 3, out of the NIV, says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do. And I think this means if you make a budget, you pray about it. And you lay before God and you say, Is this how you want me to steward these things? Proverbs 15, 21, out of the NIV, says, Folly delights a man who lacks judgment, but a man of understanding keeps a straight course. So that means when you set a budget, you stick to your, your budget. You reconcile with your bank account, your credit card statement, you keep receipts. What? Yeah, most times today people actually email your receipts. Like, look at my email. I have enough email. Well, just go with it. And so in the midst of living on a budget, you find a way to reduce your impulse buys. Like for me, I try not to carry cash on me. If I go somewhere with cash, I'm like, it's free money. I don't got to account for it. It's cash. Someone could be selling monkeys on the side of the road and be like, I'll buy a monkey. I got cash. Right? It's, it's crazy. I don't like coffee. But if I'm in Starbucks, I'll be like, oh, hey, uh, I'll take a coffee. And I don't even like coffee. It's like, oh, there's a brand new store. I wonder what's in there. The devil's in there. <laughs> don't go in there. Especially if you have cash. Okay? It's why you don't go to the mall for recreation. Okay? Just, just, just don't, don't do it. And imagine this. You, you go to get gasoline, right? 
And you say you don't use a card, you actually go inside to pay for it. And you stand in line, you're like, oh, I can use a pack of gum and a Snickers and a Red Bull. And you just spent 15 more bucks than you needed to uh, getting out of there. It's all impulse buys. We have to get control of this because our culture is all about instant gratification. The impulse buy. Our society sets it up where you can get anything you want in two days or less. You get like a spouse, real estate, sex, furnish your home, groceries, two days or less. So you got to stick to your course. Unless you're going to find yourself on eBay or Craigslist buying a samurai sword for 500 bucks that's worth 50 and you don't even know what to do with the samurai sword. We are those people who, who are like, oh, hey, I saved 30 bucks. No, you spent 400 on something you don't really need. Proverbs 13, 18 says, Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. Guys, impulse buys will kill us. So when you make a budget, you stick to your budget, which goes to my number two. We've got to know the difference between liabilities and assets. Liabilities and assets. This is something no one ever taught me in school. We need assets. So biblically speaking, I think a liability is something that takes money out of your pocket, and an asset is something that puts money into your pocket. Real estate, jobs, stocks that actually make a profit, asset. Uh, How about this? New car. Uh, I think it depends, actually. If you can pay for that new car without financing it, then it might actually be an asset. Because sometimes new cars are actually warranted. If nobody ever bought a new car, none of us would ever get cars, because most of us buy them used, right? (laughs) Maybe you buy yours new. I don't know. Whatever. Okay. I bought a new truck a couple years ago because all the oil pumps kept going. Oh, never mind. It's a long story, but I don't need to go there. I only have so much time to ramble at you about money. Uh, so sometimes it's, it's warranted. But when you drive a new car off the lot, you lose 15 to 20% right then and there. Uh, years ago, I told you this story about a guy named Patrick Collier. It was in the paper. He had a fiancé named Sandy. It's all the way back in the early 2000s. I think it's good to bring this up again. He's an example of the modern American dream. This guy goes into McDonald's and wins a million dollars. You think, no one ever wins at McDonald's. This guy got the Magic McMuffin, and he won a million dollars. Even if you don't believe in Jesus, you would say, thank God for the Magic McMuffin. Now, Patrick is not really a Bible guy. He doesn't think he needs more wisdom, just thinks he needs more money. But without wisdom, he's in bad shape. This is what the newspaper says. A few months ago, Patrick Collier, 35, and his fiance Sandy Fabian, were sleeping on cardboard boxes, homeless temporary laborers, scratching out a hard, scrabble existence on $50 a day. Now, my first question is, how does this guy get a fiance? Right? That's a whole other sermon right there. If it, ladies, if a guy comes to you and says, hey, you want to make 50 bucks a day and sleep in my cardboard box? Your answer is no. Yeah, there you go. No. So he must be a smooth talker. But I'm sure at 50 bucks a day, Patrick thinks, I need a little bit more money. He needs a little bit more. So this is what he says. Now, though, he's a millionaire. Patrick says, thank God for that sausage and cheese McMuffin. I guess so, Right? So he gets a million dollars. What's he going to do with this? You know, money without wisdom is an opportunity for foolishness. Money needs wisdom. Let me break this down. If you win a million dollars, do you get a million dollars? No. Depending on what state you're in, you get five to six hundred thousand dollars. So after taxes, you kind of just lose most of it. So what should he do? Should he get assets or liabilities? Assets, right? Right. You're getting it. You're getting it. But but what do you think he gets? Liabilities. What would we get? Lie? No, we would get liabilities. Don't lie. And like, oh, a million bucks. I'm going to buy a whole bunch of stuff. This will be great. So he gets liabilities. Uh, he says this, I'm getting a Harley and a couple of houses. And one for me, he always said he would buy me a house, added his mother. I don't know if you can see where this is going, but they're living in a box. He gets a million bucks. He says, well, I want a Harley. And his fiance says, and I want a home. I'm done with the bucks. And, and his mom says, and, and one for me too. Can you even do that on five to $600,000? 
Exactly, exactly. An average house in Santa Maria is three fifty to four hundred fifty thousand dollars. And so, and so, can you do three houses in a Harley? No, two houses in a Harley, not really. Now, if Patrick invested his money and he got a return, I'll make math easy. Let's say ten percent. It's almost impossible to find today. I know, but say he could. Okay, that's like sixty thousand dollars a year. Sixty thousand dollars a year beats the box in fifty bucks a day. Uh, anytime, anytime. What else does his fiance want? NASCAR tickets. Because you know NASCAR's in here somewhere. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And she wants to see, at this time, her favorite was Dale Jarrett. He retired in 2009, but that's how old the story is. But, uh, and she wants a ring. So she got engaged, uh, but she never got a ring or a date. You're not really engaged. Uh, but So she wants a custom-made ring. So this is what you want. Three houses, Harley, NASCAR, custom-made rings, and to meet Dale Jarrett. Now, if he can actually get all of these things, can he maintain his liabilities? Not at all. You have property taxes and utilities, and you've got to put gas in the Harley to drive down to the NASCAR. Now, he has an investment strategy. This is it. The article ends when he says, I'll invest in a couple, no 30 shares of Budweiser. There's no way. I'm sorry. There's no way I can lose money. Shoot, 50 shares and I should own the company. He said, tipping back Bud Light number nine of the afternoon. NASCAR and Bud Riser. When he needs to be reading scripture and understanding wisdom. And don't think I'm mocking or making fun of this guy. I'm not. Because he is like every single one of us. He's got his money spent. So many times like, oh, my next paycheck, I'll buy this or I'll go buy that. And we have our money spent without even thinking about how to find some assets and not liabilities. Because Christianity is good for our spirits, but also the physical, practical world around us. Proverbs seventeen sixteen out of the NIV, uh, we started with, of what use is money in the hand of a fool since he has no desire to get wisdom? That's talking to all of us. We don't need more money first. We need more wisdom. That's what we need. This is the principle, wisdom first, money second. In Proverbs, wisdom is always seen as this elegant woman. Proverbs eight seventeen to 21, out of the NIV, wisdom says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing wealth on those who love me and making their treasuries full. Now, again, these are principles. They're not promises. But when we typically walk in wisdom, we will see the right way to begin to live things out. And foolish people tend not to be rich or wealthy. And if they do, it's only for a short season. Uh, So number three is figure your expenses. Figure your expenses. In our vernacular today, I will call these legitimate liabilities. So what liabilities are legitimate? Uh, Housing is number one. Housing is number one. Primary housing uh, in our society should equal about 25 to 40% of an income, depending on your income and the home that's there. It's almost impossible today, though, to buy a house because most people don't have 20% down. And so if you buy a house, you're going to get this thing called PMI, which is principal mortgage insurance. And so what you want to do is as soon as your house has enough equity in it, refinance to get rid of that principal mortgage insurance. And when we talk about buying a home, it's, it's not just for the sake of the home. It's also for the sake of longevity. Uh, a lot of people like to be somewhere and to nest and to leave a legacy after you, to be able to connect to neighbors around you, because this is part of living out the gospel. We want to be able to speak the good news of the gospel where we are, so it's good to have something like, like a home. When, I was, when my wife and I were first married, I think in the first three years of our marriage, we moved nine times. 
and she was like, I am done moving. I don't, the, the house, the, the house that we bought now, uh, we bought at the bottom of the market. It was bank owned and we offered them 80 grand less than they were asking. And I still thought I'm going to eat beans and rice the rest of my life. Right. It's my, my friend Matt, when he bought his, he said, I'm going to eat beans and rice the rest of my life. And yet when you start to actually live on a budget and figure legitimate expenses, you don't actually end up there anymore. A house is security, but a lot of people like that idea of a stable home. Again, in Santa Maria, houses are usually 35 or 350 to $450,000. And again, a, ha- a home can be a good investment, but it's more than a home. As I said, a home is for longevity. Uh, th- so, so it's really important. Uh, my second one is food. Uh, food is a legitimate liability. I know you can't eat money, but it feels like you are most of the time because food is so expensive right now. You want to spend less on food? Stop going out to eat. Boom. Solved your problem right there. Here we go. How do I not go out to eat? Think about something like this. Imagine you get a $5,000 raise at work. Right. Uh, first off, the government's going to take a thousand bucks right off the top of that. And then you decide, well, since I'm making more, I'm not going to eat peanut butter and jelly anymore. I'm going to go out and I am going to go to lunch every day when I'm at work. Well, if you get by with maybe eight bucks, what is it, 12 or 13? Now, but say you got by eight bucks, that ends up being two thousand dollars a year. And then because you're working harder, you need your medication. I call that Starbucks. And so that ends up being like another couple thousand. And you just lost your entire wage with hamburgers and coffee. Now, is it a sin to get hamburgers and coffee? Coffee, yes. No, but no, it, no, it's not. It's not. But we need to be able to figure out a budget and then work on it. If you have kids, you go out to eat at a restaurant with a couple kids, that's like $1,000. No, it's, it's like 100 bucks, right? It's, it, it's not cheap. Do you know that juice boxes, when you buy them, the juice in juice boxes cost five times as much as like concentrated juice that you put water in and stir it? I think for five times, you could do the hard work of stirring water. And then you could actually buy a container to put that juice in, and so you're not having all this extra trash, but you actually have a little container, and you're saving money, and it's better for your kids, typically. If, if, you, if you actually make meals at home, I think, I'm not a good cook. Well, nobody is when they start. You start to work on it, but, but when you start to actually make food at home, it's better for you. There's less chemicals. Get rid of the hamburger helper. You know, start making something at home. And some, and some studies now show that kids who have ADD or ADHD actually, that starts to roll back a little bit when they get less chemicals in their systems. So you save money and you help your family. Food can be a huge saving. Uh, number three, transportation is another big legitimate expense. Cars are expensive, but in a city like Santa Maria where our public transportation isn't necessarily the greatest, you have to have one. Cars can last a long time with proper maintenance, but even with proper maintenance, 200,000 miles, they typically start to fall apart. You're leaving parts of your car on the road. It's like, that's not good. Some bicyclist is going to hit it, so don't do that. Uh, in America, though, we have another problem, and our problem is that cars are status. Right? It's like, are you the Honda? Are you the, are you the Toyota? Are you the BMW? Are you the Audi? What are you? Like, I'm too good for the Yugo. Like, maybe not if you're in a place in your life where you understand the, the sovereignty and the goodness of God and you need to get out of debt, so you drive the Yugo because, hey, anything's better than hell. Sometimes it feels like you're driving hell, but, you know, anything's, anything's better than that, so, so, so you drive it. If the people you hang out with are going to judge you by the car, kind of car you drive, you need better friends. That's all I'm saying. Uh, this is number four, which is actually three a, get insurance. I know, how practical today am I, right? Get insurance. Uh, this is, again, like a side note, but the two most frequently stolen car brands in America are Hondas and Toyotas. Heard this news report on Friday that people with Hondas and Toyotas are having their catalytic converters stolen in, in San Luis Obispo. Do you know why? Because we park Hondas and Toyotas on the streets, and people with Beamers park them in a garage. 
That's what I think anyway, because you know you can't get to them that way. So so get insurance. If you're a renter, get renter's insurance. If you if you're married and have kids, get life insurance. I mean, if if I die, I want my house to be paid off, my wife to be able to live off the interest. Practical. Okay, number five, deal with your gross income. The deal with your gross income. That means everything, jobs, stocks, real estate, whatever it is, gross income. And do you ever think, what's, what's my gross? What's my net? Gross is everything. Net is what happens after the government comes and takes their, their cut out of it. But So you figure your gross income, subtract two obligations, and you will hate both of these. Okay. Number one, taxes. Yep, there you go. Uh, Romans 13, verse 7. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. And honor to whom honor is owed. Don't shoot the messenger. Okay? Second thing, giving to God. Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. You might think, well, I don't have fruit trees. Okay, the, the, in our vernacular, this would be your paycheck, okay? So pay government, give to God. We talked last week why generosity is so important. Uh, subtract those two things, that's your net income. But good news, they're both tax deductible. Yay! Okay, so sometimes making more money means you have to look for more deductions. People call these loopholes in the tax code, but they're not. They're in the tax code, so, tax code, so they're not loopholes. Just making more money without more deductions sometimes doesn't help because you'll get bumped up in tax brackets. I've read stories about a few moms who had children. After a while, they went they went back to work, and with daycare and the bump and extra money coming in the house, they actually paid more out of their pocket than they were before. So you got to, you know, if you increase your gross, find ways to legally reduce your net income legally okay if you're single or married and you don't give to your church or don't invest in like an ira or don't start a college saving kids for college savings for future kids the government's going to come and take it from you so you need to find places to put it you need to find places to be generous to give because our god is generous so you got to consider now your living expenses again legitimate liabilities and remember that our goal is never to get rich our goal is to always honor God in whatever we do because He has given us things to steward in our lives. Don't spend all your time looking for the shortcut. That's part of what's wrong in our culture today. We want to be counter to that. So often in our culture today, we want someone to come along and like hurt us, like hit us with their car. Not bad enough we're maimed for life, but just bad enough we can sue them and make some extra money. That's terrible. We, we shouldn't want that. It is good to work hard. It is good to work smart. But when it hurts your friends or family, like you're never home for dinner, you don't spend time with your kids, then, then that's wrong. We don't sin to make more money because that would make us unrighteous rich. What we want to do is honor God in all that we do. Proverbs 23 verse 4 says, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Our goal is always to honor God and reflect who He is in everything that we do. And if you have kids, you may need to not take that promotion at work if it's going to take you away from your family more. Okay? I got two more. Looking at the time. I'm okay. Okay, number five, or number six, number six. You're like, we're going backwards. No, number six. Uh, pay off your debt. Pay off. Easier said than done. I get it, okay? Out of the NIV, Proverbs 22, verse 7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is, ser- borrower is servant to the lender. If you, It says if you owe someone money, they essentially own you. So get out of debt, especially credit card debt. It's so bad. The, the a woman aged 21 to 34 today are the most likely to have credit card debt. You win. There you go. Lucky you. Uh, when you start getting a job or you go to college, we'll start hitting your mailbox is credit card applications. 0%, 1%, 2%, 3.9%. And we think that people don't lie to us. They are totally lying to us all the time. That lasts 60 days and then your interest rate's like 90%. 
Right? It's, it's, it's horrible. I once had this credit card when I used to carry a balance on a credit card that started at 0%, and then all of a sudden it was like 29%. And I'm like, what? So I call this company up and I go, how come it's 29%? Oh, and they said, well, we sent you a letter. I don't read any of the letters when they send me stuff. Well, we sent you a letter and it said if you didn't want your interest rate to go up, you were supposed to call us and let us know. I'm like, I'm calling you and letting you know. Oh, well, well that was like a, a month ago you are supposed to do that. What a racket. That's what I need. Oh, oh, you didn't call me, so you need to, so you owe me like $1,000. What? Well, you're supposed to call me, and that's not how you make friends. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm thinking about this. If you leave things on a credit card, right, and, and you go out to dinner, and you put it on a credit card and you don't pay off your balance, you're paying for that meal over five years. That's terrible. That's terrible. That's why they make the type really, really small. Uh, uh, if you have school loans, a lot of people, you know, get school loans today to, to go to college. And I was, I'm the count, you know, premarital counseling some people sometimes, and he's got like forty, and she's got fifty thousand dollars, and they're getting married. That's ninety thousand dollars of debt. But a lot of people don't see it like that because it hasn't come due, and it takes so long to to get there. And on college loans, you can spend it really on whatever you want. Pizza and beer and Cheetos, those are not investments. Those are liabilities, and yet people spend it on things like that. Now, I don't want you to think that, that all credit cards are bad. I think if you can learn how to pay it off every month, which is a place you have to work towards in your life, but they can be okay. Like, we don't, my wife and I finally in our lives don't carry any credit card debt, but we use a credit card for almost everything, and we pay it off every month, and I get 2% on everything. So at the end of the year, we have a nice little little bit of money we get to take on vacation with us and just blow it on whenever we want. Why? Because they're paying me. <laughs> I'm working the system. That's, that's me. That's right. Uh, and number seven, this is my last one, is, is work on your savings. Work on your savings. Uh, the scripture uses the example of ants. Uh, Proverbs 6, verse 8, it says it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. This is bit by bit. It's making a stockpile for lean times. And so uh, if you ever go through Financial Peace University, there's two things that tells you which are just really cool. The first one is this. Do everything you can to save a 1000 bucks and put it on the side and just keep that. And you call that your emergency fund. So if your brakes go out in your car or your tires blow and you got to get new tires or an appliance goes out in your house, you have the money to get it fixed or buy something else and you're not putting on a credit card or getting a Sears layaway or a Best Buy credit card. You, you're, you take that emergency fund and you pay for it so you're not jammed to the hilt. Uh, the other thing it tells you to do is once you can work down your debt, get to the place where you can save three to six months of living expenses in savings. Because if you happen to lose your job, then you're not going to have to freak out and be like, what am I going to do? You have the time to figure out exactly what you need to do. And it's important to understand when I think when you save, don't just put it in a checking account where you don't earn any interest. Put it in a place where you can actually earn some money on it, but still get to it if you need to. Proverbs 13.22 out of the NIV says, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children children's children. And I think this is part of the goal of what, how the gospel teaches, to think about people, not just us, but those that will actually come after us. I mean, it's good to have goals. No goals, you don't go anywhere. And so we should have goals in our families, maybe to, to help pay for our kids' college or to help our kids buy a home or your grandkids' college. People tend to make the most money in their lives in their 50s and 60s and have the least amount of bills. I think foolish societies put bumper stickers on their cars that say, I'm spending my kids' inheritance. I think that's a mockery to God and how he calls us to actually think about those around us. Because in the end, it's not how much money can I make. It's how can I give to God? How can I be generous? How can I steward his things well, as well as put things in the hands of those around me, especially my family, to leave a lasting legacy? 
Proverbs is a great book on practical wealth and investment in a counterculture way. And I've said many times before that God gives us wealth and the ability to produce because he wants us to, one, enjoy things that we have, but also learn how to give them away and steward them well. In order to ever truly understand money, we must learn to be generous givers. See, if, 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 we, if we don't give and we don't budget, we don't do these things right, what's going to happen is money is going to start to rule over our lives. We're going to be living that paycheck to paycheck, worrying about what's hanging over us and can I make this, and money then runs us. When we need to understand that we run money, money sits underneath us, we're supposed to steward it in a way. I think it's important for kids to get that idea when they're young, so it's important for them to see us learn how to give and to steward in a way that honors God and each other. I think this is one of the reasons that, that you pray for kids, or, or pray over meals in front of children. I think it's one of the reasons if you have children, you pray for them in front of them, so they understand that they are also a gift from God. And then we understand that God doesn't bless His children, so we will consume everything, so, but that we would be a people who learn to distribute, that we would handle it well. Our perspective, as I said last week, needs to change because true worship participates with God in ministry and that really goes back to understanding the things he has given us in our hands, which goes back to the idea of that budget that we started with. Everything belongs to God. We belong to God. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, and 8 says, Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful means hilarious. Like you're like if you're going and you're giving to God, you're like, oh, woohoo, boom. You're like, oh, give God some money. Dang, never dead God. You know, it's, it's, yay, this is so great. Woo. And you're really excited about it. You can only do that if you budget. <laughs> you're like, oh, what am I going to do with this? It says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you, you will abound in every good work. This is God abounding all things and not just money. And this, is, and this is what I tell you, that everything we do is about Jesus. Uh, when we understand the gospel correctly, we understand that the gospel is many times spoken to us in an economic concept. See, we have a debt that we can never pay. Uh, Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death. We earn this wage. It, it is called death. And Jesus comes to pay for that for us. Uh, you know, sin is like the credit card company. And, the, and it just sits over you. And it's holding you in bondage. And every time you turn around, it's raising the interest rate. And you're never going to get out of it. We can never make it to the end. But Jesus comes. And he takes this thing that called sin, this debt that we have, and he pays for it himself. This is what communion reminds us of that he paid our wage for sin. He brought us out of the death that we were in and sets us free in new life so that we can have a relationship with God again. What separated us from God is taken care of in the person of Christ. What separates us from one another is taken care of in the person of Jesus Christ. He sets us free. And this is why when you talk about the gospel, it, it is the understanding of everything we do and how we steward everything starts there. It starts in the place of what Jesus first done for us. And this is why at communion, you break the cracker like Christ's body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. Reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me because he paid the debt that we can never pay. And when we, I think we begin to understand that in practical ways in our lives, it's not just this spiritual thing. It becomes a practical ideal day by day. And we live in ways that we begin to steward the things that God has given us well because it honors him. Now, the band's going to come up. They're, oh, they're, I didn't think you were in here. Um, so uh, they're going to come up, and as they do, I'm going to take communion. There'll be some deacons in the back, and if you need prayer, maybe you're in a, in a financial hole today, 
and you're living paycheck to paycheck and you're just freaked out about, you know, how am I going to make ends meet? Uh, they love to talk to you and pray with you about that. They're not going to pull out a budget right there and say, let's figure out your expenses, right? Uh, we, will, we will send you a budget. If you need to talk to somebody, let us know. We'll try and connect you uh, with somebody to talk to. But really, in the end, it starts with our lives first understanding what Jesus has done for us to rescue and save us because that's going to put everything else into perspective. If we think, well, if I just, I just got to get my finances in order and then I can follow Jesus, that's not how it works. We understand first that Jesus has rescued us, saved us, called us in, and that's where everything begins. And then our lives begin to be lived out outside it. Now, I want you to understand that, no, anything I say this morning, if maybe you've got horrible credit card debt and you're living in guilt and shame. That is not the gospel. Okay? That is not the gospel. Anything I say today is not meant to make you feel terrible. It's helping to understand what our culture lives like and what a counterculture could and should be. A people who honor Him in all things. And yes, we fall down and we make bad decisions and we do stupid stuff, but yet Jesus continually rescues. He comes and pays the debt of our sin and our shame and He calls us into the people that we need to be. And so we trust Him in that and then we surrender all of our lives to Him. And, th- and that's why we have other people around us who love and worship Jesus too. We can come alongside one another and walk with one another to the place where we can get things in our lives in a way that not only honors the family around us, most importantly, honors Jesus himself. So let's be a people who trust him first for our salvation and our life. Uh, there's offering boxes. I say this, it's so funny if I talk about money. There's offering boxes next to all the doors. Uh, and we give because God gives so much to us. Giving is part of our worship. We do not pass a plate. It's a response to what he has done. Uh, there's some food outside. Grab something to eat. Grab some sermon notes. Maybe ask one another some questions. Uh, do, do you have anybody in your life who, who you could talk to, you trust enough to talk about your finances, your budget, where you're at, where you spend your money on? And if you don't, we'd love to connect you into a gospel community or maybe you would meet some other people. You could trust someone enough to be able to talk about those things with because yes god saves us individually but he places us into a family so we would love and support one another and that's one of the reasons he does that and i gotta tell you money is one of the one of the things that people in our culture and in our world and throughout time have struggled with the most and so we need one another to help us in that our god is good guys our god is good and no matter what bad decisions we made He still comes in and he rescues and restores and redeems us. So let's be a people who trust him with everything, who start to steward the way he calls us to, and to live out lives that bring him glory by how we steward with his place in our hands. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would uh, take our hearts this morning and remind us that first and foremost, you are the rescuer of our souls. You have called us back into relationship with you. That no matter where we've been or what we've done, it doesn't keep us from you. So teach us first to surrender all that we are to all that you are. And to understand that the gospel is good news. Even if we're sitting in a place today and we don't know how to make ends meet and we can't see the good news, the gospel is good news. Because it's an eternal reality of your rescue of us. So I ask that you would begin to teach us to understand how to practically, in a real-world way, steward the things you have placed into our hands. That we, would, that we would honor you with what we have been given, whether it's much, whether it's little, whatever it is. 
and that we would start to see everything as being good gifts from your hands. Father, I ask that we would understand the, the great love that you have given us. I ask that we would understand that you are the one who has paid our debt, that you have raised us to be a people who walk in righteousness because your righteousness is a gift given to us. And I ask that we wouldn't see things in our lives like money as being such a mundane thing, but connected to everything that we do, that our lives are all spiritual. Our lives are all physical. You, you placed us here for a purpose and a reason to grow and to trust you in all things. So have us begin to do that by how we steward the things that you have placed into our hands. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.